Good morning. It is really good to see you. I'd like to just have us all get up and do one big group hug. I missed you. It was uh, hard to come home, and yet so good to be home at the same time. We got home last Sunday, and we had an incredible trip, and we had an incredible team that you'll hear from shortly, and it was an incredible experience. We saw and experienced so much that was uh, honestly and truly uh, so overwhelming. So overwhelming, in fact, that when Caleb Shreve got up to introduce himself to one of the churches in the Deep Forest, he got caught up in the moment and he mixed up his metaphor and introduced himself as a pregnant woman. (laughs) It's quite mysterious uh, what we saw, and so... Word of Caleb is now traveling throughout uh, the deep forest. <laughs> but luckily, Anunth is a really gracious interpreter, and we asked him what he said, and he goes, I said, this is Caleb, and he's really happy to be here. <laughs> so crisis averted. But in all seriousness, this trip, this trip was unlike any other. This was our 10-year anniversary of when we first sent uh, our first team. Back then, it was the beginning of a grand vision and one that we hoped we would see God reveal his glory among us. And here we are. We're 10 years in now. But particularly over these last three years, we haven't been able to go. And I'll tell you on this side of the trip, what I wasn't going to say on the other side of that trip is that I didn't know if we would ever get back there at times. There were times I wondered if we would ever be able to go back. Wondering if those doors would be reopened once again. So going back this year after all that time, you can't help but wonder, what are we going to find when we return? What are we going to find when we get back there? After three years, would it feel like we were starting all over again? Would it feel like All of it had been for nothing. Did they really miss us? Are we really just imposing ourselves there? Does our presence really mean anything? Has all of this been just as special to them as it has been to us? Had something really, actually, truly, 100% special and beautiful actually been built? Was all of this really from the Lord? It was a moment where all of that All that we'd seen thus far was truly put to the test. And my friends, what we found when we returned was that Jesus is doing something that at this point the only way I can describe it is to tell you that I can't describe it. I have truly, after all these years, I do not have the words. My vocabulary has utterly been bankrupted. Going back was like these three years have never even happened. We were greeted with so much hospitality, so much love, and so much eagerness. And we learned that they were wondering the same things that we were. Were they ever really going to come back? Was all this for nothing? Did they forget about us? 
It was a reunion where Jesus made it abundantly clear that he really is doing something. He was the one that gave us that vision, and he is the one who is accomplishing it. He really has invited us into a cosmic story of redemption where half of what happens is virtually impossible by worldly standards. And what we see him continue to do over and over and over again is just the most mysterious thing that says, yes, I am with you. Yes, I will be with you. Keep going. Keep moving forward. Every, every single goal for fundraising that we've ever had, tons more has been brought in. Did you know that this year when we tried to raise $50,000, 51000 58000 actually came in, and the vast, vast, vast majority of that came from people who had come in the last three years and never previously participated in a trip or a fundraiser or a, anything that had to do with missions. God is bringing new people into this church to be a part of this vision. And where did the rest of that money go? It went to the same place through Night of Light. $120,000. That's just here. I haven't even talked about there yet. It is truly beyond my capacity, and all we have is just the joy of participation. Seven times, Pastor Isaiah came up to me, who rarely says anything, and when he does, it's rarely in English. And he came up to me and tried to express his thanks and his gratitude for this partnership. It was very clear he was just as aware of what the Spirit of God has woven together as we are. So if anything, this trip has showed us that we, my friends, we've only just gotten started. And thank God for it. And what other things might we see the Lord Jesus do? I don't know. But it's just abundantly clear that we are along for the ride. <laughs> That's as, as best as I can put it. And we'll enjoy every second of it. And our passage this morning does help us find words a little bit. It helps us understand what we're a part of. It gives us some words to make sense of what we've been brought into and what Jesus is doing in us, among us, and through us. This passage in Malachi brings us to the end of the Old Testament in this series. And Malachi is the last of the prophets in the last book of the Old Testament. And it's essentially a book that's the closing of an old chapter. But it also points forward to the beginning of a new one. And Malachi gives us an account of the spiritual state of the union of Judah, of Israel. But it's hardly a beautiful picture. It's actually a very broken one. Because you don't find a people of grace that lived with a conscious memory and remembrance that they are the people who, by God's grace, were redeemed from their bondage and their slavery. You don't find a people of love committed to loving God and loving neighbor the way God didn't ask, but the way God commanded. You don't find a community of justice caring for the vulnerable among them the way God cared for them 
in their vulnerability. You don't find a repentant people who had learned from past mistakes. You just find a people repeating them. You don't find a people being a light to the nations. You find a people doing everything that they possibly can to become just like the nations, chasing after their gods and following all their ways. You find a people that were 100% the complete opposite of everything that God intended for his people to be. And Malachi says, if you have ears to hear, I want you to come close. I want you to walk with me. I want to show you something. I want you to walk with me at street level. I want you to walk with me among the people and see what life has become like in Israel. He takes us to the temple and he shows us the corrupt priests that offered blemished and blind sacrifices, profaning the altar of God. They were allowing foreign gods to be brought into the temple to worship leading people away from God, not to God. God's like Kali that ask for you to sacrifice the most vulnerable among you. Priests who showed partiality and who they taught and who they spent time with. Priests who become elitists and separated themselves from the very people from which they were called to identify and intertwine their lives with the very people that they were called to lead to a life dependent upon God. They had no time for it. Malachi takes us to the markets where the people rob and cheat one another, and then they use all those black market profits to to buy their blind sacrifices and offer them unto the Lord, waiting for his blessing. And all the people stopped tithing so that the temple was no longer a place of Ministry, a place that people could go to have their burdens relieved by a gracious and good God. No, instead the temple is now filled with corruption, not contrite hearts. Malachi takes us into their homes, and he shows us how the men were abandoning their wives and not remaining faithful to their covenant vows. They were divorcing the wives of their youth after long years of marriage to marry foreign women and to worship foreign gods. And they abandoned their own women and left them destitute inside of a system that left zero protection for them. And their homes were empty because of all of this. Their homes were empty of godly children. They stopped teaching their children who the Lord their God was. They stopped telling these stories. They stopped telling about these promises, and they stopped building them up to be strong in the Lord. So all that to say, by the time you get to Malachi, you just get a mess. And here we are at the end of the Old Testament, and God's promise to Abraham all of those centuries before just seems like a failed experiment God had promised offspring and land and blessing to Abraham. But those offspring were divided and were killing one another and they trampled over each other for centuries and they were scattered among the nations. And that land that was promised only ever knew war. It never knew the peace that God wanted to give them. And that whole blessing to the world part 
being that light to the nations. Now Israel is just a punchline. They're puppets of a foreign power used for foreign purposes. Their corruption was such a far cry from what God intended for his people. And it's really hard to convey the hopelessness of their world and their situation that Malachi wants us to see. The best we can probably do is for you to perhaps recognize that it's probably no different than the hopelessness you feel every now and then when you look around at our world. And you wonder to yourself, where is God in all this? Where is God in all this brokenness and in this corruption? Where is God in the midst of all this abuse of power? And here at the end of Malachi, the only hope we have is the only hope they had. The only hope left is the memory that God had made promises and the hope that he would keep them. Malachi ends with God promising that a day was coming when he will deal with the arrogant and the evildoer and the corrupt, that they will be like stubble set on fire in the furnace and oven of his judgment. And they will be dealt with as he deals with the consequences of all of the pain that they had caused to fill their own pockets driven by their own greed. God promises a day where he will establish his kingdom and he will draw families back together. He will change the hearts of children. He will give the people godly priests once again and he will come with healing in his wings and he will offer new life, new eternal life through the forgiveness of sins to the very thing that this world disregarded. So God ends the Old Testament story the same way he started it. He ends it with his promises. And he promises one who will bring judgment and justice at the exact same time. But it didn't happen quickly. 400 years go by between Malachi and Matthew. 400 years between that last page of Malachi and that first page of Matthew. It's a staggering amount of time, 400 years of nothing from God. It was a global pandemic of divine silence. It was a complete famine of his word. And during these 400 years, Israel only got worse and worse and worse. Because just like all the prophets who'd gone before him, Israel didn't listen to Malachi either. So 400 years later, Israel is even further away from God and more entrenched in corruption than ever before. And there were three main groups that ran life in Israel that had radically opposing and different views about what the people of God should be doing and how the kingdom of God would be established. You saw the zealots who got all wrapped up in power games and politics and wanted Israel to restore the kingdom through violence and force and hating their neighbor, which made them no different than the rest of the world. Then there were the Pharisees that wanted to withdraw from the outside world and sit back and enjoy their own self-righteousness 
and look down on everything and everybody else, all while living in their own little delusion that God was actually pleased with them. Then we have the Sadducees that had just become liberal elites who'd watered down the faith and completely lost their imagination for who and what God is. They did what liberalism always does best. It just presents a little God that can only do little things. And they'd forsaken a God of extraordinary promise and power. So all that corruption from Malachi's day had only grown and rotted into a system that didn't care for the people. It left orphans on the streets. It kicked widows out of their homes. It stepped over the vulnerable. Jesus speaks to these very things when he walks this earth. They called good evil and evil good. It was a system that no longer invited people into communion and fellowship with God. Instead, it slammed the opportunity of that happening right in their faces. The temple had been turned into a marketplace, and worship had been transformed into a money-making machine. And Israel's king was a puppet of a foreign power who was willing to slaughter the infant babies of his own people. It's not much different than our world. So after all these centuries, when God begins to move and to fulfill his promises, what does he do? He gives the world Christmas. He gives the first advent. God sends Jesus Christ in flesh and blood, the promised one of Malachi, into this world. And what does he do? He comes caring for the very ones that Malachi had said this world had forgotten and forsaken as an indictment against this world and against all of its corruption and unjust systems and what it despises, Jesus treats as precious. He was the one who showed compassion to the prostitutes. He's the one that found and looked for the widow. The one who said, no, let your children come unto me. Do not keep them from me. He's the one who entered into the temple to drive out its corruption. And he was the one who condemned the hypocrisy of Israel's rulers and authorities, and he pronounced judgment upon it, and that one day all of it was going to burn. And Malachi tells us about Advent. And Advent teaches us how Christ actually enters into this world. It's to overthrow the oppressor, the prideful, the arrogant, and the corrupt. But he does that by laying claim to the very things they disregard and despise and trample. He enters into their suffering with them, and he offers new life and the forgiveness of sins. He comes and he takes back the hearts of the orphan and the widow. He draws his precious children unto him, and he fills their mouths with his praise. He becomes that husband to the abandoned woman. And he finds her in her despair. He topples the empire of greed and corruption and brokenness, not by coming and just randomly, overtly overthrowing governments or picking up a sword. He does it by captivating the hearts of his people through worship, 
one heart at a time as his kingdom slowly invades this earth. This is the heart of Advent. And this is the heart of Christ. And this is the very work that Jesus has invited this church into. Because this is what we have seen and heard all these years, my friends. And this is what we have seen and heard these last two weeks. We are seeing the advent, the coming of Jesus Christ and his kingdom into this world. This year we raised the money. Part of it was to go to build two churches in the deep forest. And our team, which you'll see in a moment, was able to dedicate one of those churches on this trip. And we marched around the building together before we went in. We went around the building again and again, singing and clapping and praising Jesus and offering it to him. And we learned that the pastor of that church was a man named Prasanna, and that he had led his people to pray for a new building. But do you know how long they prayed? They prayed for over 10 years that God would give them a new building. Over 10 years. They started praying long before they ever heard of us, long before we ever partnered with CRI, they started praying because they heard about Jesus. And they started asking him for the impossible. And make no mistake, praying for a new church building, a meteor might as well hit this church right now. It is virtually impossible. Why? Because you could take the entire yearly salary of every person in that church, the entire yearly salary of everyone in that village, and you still wouldn't come close to having enough money to paying for that church to be built. They were literally praying for the impossible because where's that money going to come from? Where's that money going to come from? Who would possibly care about a little, no-name, untouchable congregation in a no-name village with a no-name pastor in a no-name part of the world? Who would possibly care? It's Jesus Christ, the promised one of Advent coming to those who were despised and rejected and without resources, undoing the very things that Malachi was speaking against. Why? Because Jesus gave this little church a priest that didn't deal in corruption. He was a priest that led his people to dependence upon Christ, to trust in this God in whom all things are possible. And he did just that. Jesus wove together a story that provided money from a church halfway around the world from people that had never met a single one of their congregants. And yet here they are, all of them together, marching around that very building that was so impossible before that has now been made possible. How's that for globalization? It's incredible. We saw the little ones coming unto Jesus who'd been forgotten by this world. We saw a young girl named Mary She was baptized in a small creek deep in the jungle. She stood in that water like a giant. She barely came up to my elbow. She said she wanted to follow Jesus, knowing full well what that meant for her. Suffering, persecution, 
loss, sorrow, pain, joy, new life, and something she had to have for herself. She knew full well that it would put a serious dent in her prospects of ever getting married, ever finding a husband, or finding one that would be willing to marry her because she was a Christian. It put a serious dent in her ability to ever have her own children or have a family, yet she did it anyways. She still stood there and said, I choose to follow Christ because Christ had chosen her. Christ had chosen the little one. And we heard from a widow who was renamed at her baptism to Esther. An old woman that you will see baptized in just a moment. She'd only believed in Jesus for 10 weeks. And oftentimes it takes much longer for converts to be baptized because they know what they're going to face when they do. But she, after 10 weeks, she was ready. And her story is one that makes no sense that she would be ready. Because Esther told us her story that her husband had died long ago. And now she lived with her son, who was a drunk. And when he would get drunk, he would beat her. And her son told her that if she was baptized, then she wouldn't be allowed back in the home. He was going to kick her out, and he would disown her along with the rest of her family. So for her to be baptized, she would lose whatever semblance of the life that she had. And she did it anyways. She chose the spousal, familial love of Christ because Christ chose her and came to her and loved her because Christ loves the forgotten ones. And her baptism didn't actually make her homeless, though. I asked Ananth where she'd stay. I said, where would she go? What will happen to her? And he just smiled. And he said that she would actually stay at the church. I said, she would, she'll stay inside the church. He goes, yes, they all do. And he goes, she'll stay in the church. That's her new home now. It's the church that you paid for. So my friends, are you tired of all the corruption of our world? You tired of the power of the prideful and the arrogance and the corruption that you feel so powerless to do anything about and you just want to see a world where a little bit of justice happens? Are you tired of the abuse of power and you just simply think to yourself sometimes, God, where are you in all of this? Then let Malachi give you eyes to see and ears to hear because he tells you to listen to the prayers of Pastor Presana's people. He tells you to look at the widow who was not forgotten. He tells you to listen to the children deep in the slums singing their little songs with their little voices saying, my God is so big, so strong, and so mighty. There's nothing my God cannot do. Let Malachi remind us that Advent is not just an event on a calendar. Advent is the power of Christ entering into this world. And my friends, we have seen it. And Malachi says, behold all these things. Because when you see the forgotten ones remembered, it means that the promised one has come. To undo the corruption and brokenness of this world. And he is coming more and more 
into this world. One heart, one widow, one little girl, one male, one female at a time. And revealing himself to be the most precious thing in this world, despite what you suffer, despite what is taken away, or despite what befalls us. And Malachi points forward to a new chapter in this grand story. And friends, we are beginning a new chapter here at our church too. After 10 years, we're closing the chapter on these last 10 years, and we're going to begin the next chapter in our vision for global missions that will send us into the next 10 years. But next week at our congregational meeting, we're also going to enter into a new chapter here at home too. But as we look to the future, might Advent, might this season, might the words of Malachi, might all that we've seen shape our hopes and desires for what Jesus will do among us. Might Christ come more and more and more and arrive more deeply into our lives and bring us more and more into the beauty of his redemptive work. Might the years ahead bring more of him in our marriages, more of him in the hearts of our children, more of him in our homes, more of him in our worship, more of him in our community, more of him in our conversations with our neighbors, more of him in our coming and our going and our waking and our sleeping. Might our prayers join with Pastor Presanas and his peoples and his church that ask for impossible things. Might our prayers reflect that we serve a God in whom all things are possible. And might our children's voices join the praise of the little ones deep in the slums. Might the waters of baptism overflow both there and here. So might our future here and whatever, wherever it is that Jesus takes us far from home, might all of it be filled with the glory of Christ. And might our mouths be filled with the echoing cry of Advent, Come, Lord Jesus. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, We ask that you would be so close to us as a church. We live in such corrupt and broken times, and so we ask for your protection upon our hearts. We ask that you would put blinders on us to where all we can see is you. Give us ears that can hear the sound of your voice above all the chaos around us. And give us hearts that long for simply to have you. We thank you for all that you've done in this church these last 10 years. We thank you that you've brought us into something that has left us so speechless. We thank you that you tell a more beautiful story than we do. We thank you that we just get to participate. We thank you that we know your name. We thank you that you've given us so much. We thank you that you are a God who is so rich and abundant that you just don't leave us to ourselves, but you enter into this mess and you bring new life and joy and forgiveness. Would you reawaken our hearts with the power of the gospel and the power of the name of Christ that is going out into this world? Give us a passion to see it extended to the ends of the earth. Give us a passion to see it extended to the end of our street. 
Give us a passion to see it extended into every corner of our home. As we look to the future, we can't possibly summarize the past. And we ask that you, once again, in these years ahead, you might reveal your glory among us. And we ask that once again, you'd give us a story of which we, could possi- we couldn't possibly find the words to describe. Everything we have is yours. Everything we are belongs to you, body and soul. Use us for the glory of Christ and the life of the world. We ask all this in the powerful name of the Lord Jesus Christ, in whom we all say, Amen.